There's some phenomenal things happening. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I'm telling you, uh, the reach is beyond anything we could have imagined. Um, maybe, like she was saying, the, some of the best things are the community that people are finding. Um, uh, they are getting some basic needs met, but many of those folks are isolated and are finding communities that they otherwise wouldn't have. So super excited about that. Thanks for joining us if you're, if you're online. Great to be with you. Um, many of you, maybe most of you, got a note from me this week. We got some really disturbing news from the city of Dublin. They have rezoned uh, the area that includes the building that we're purchasing, and they've stripped away our capability to use that building the way we need to. So we're faced with a big old roadblock. They actually rezoned it in December, and they forgot to tell us or failed to tell us or miscommunicated, and they are owning that uh, responsibility, although it doesn't really change anything. And, and, and I've told them, uh, even if you had told us in January, we'd be in the same situation. We might be a little bit ahead of the game, but um, that's the way it is. It appears that they're leaning forward as best they can to help us figure out a way forward. They understand we're pretty far down the pike, um, if they wanted to just play it strictly uh, by the letter, it would just eliminate the possibility for us to buy the building. We're hoping uh, that's not, not the way it goes. We've got a meeting scheduled for Thursday with the facility team. We'll meet with the city planning team, um, and we'll talk about what the course uh, ahead is um, and, and how we navigate it. Uh, the best-case scenario really is that they... Uh, that we go through the process to rezone our property to uh, work. What I understand is that's a very lengthy process. It's a legislative process. They don't have variances in Dublin, or at least that not, they don't call them that. They, they don't have an administrative work around, hey, this, we're just going to cut. That you actually have to go through the entire legislative process to make something work. So um, that, would be, that would be tough, real tough. Tough, tough, tough length of lengthening our uh, delay before we can occupy that building. We're already behind, in my opinion. So it's a heavy blow, for sure. We're not down and out. People keep asking me how I'm doing. I'm doing the same as I always am, trying to figure out how to follow God through this life <laughs> with surprises and expectations I don't anticipate. You know, I, We're going to end up where God wants us to be. We'll stay the course here for a couple weeks, without panicking and, and see what comes about, and then we'll handle whatever falls into our lap. Um, it's a mixed bag, right? I don't like these things. I, I just want to try to somehow uh, get to a place where I, I, I know everything that's coming. It'd be nice. As it is right now, I only know, like, nothing. Um, and on the other hand, these kinds of things are, are a sobering reminder that God is always less interested in the results and the destination, but in how we get there, how we deal with the difficulty, how we interact with the city of Dublin. These are the kinds of spaces that if we're willing to follow that God 
moves and comforts and matures and goes before us. We're praying that he goes before us, right? If you're looking at the Red Letter Study and you happen to have kids going through uh, the Red Letter Study, check out what is uh, in this week's study for them. It applies to us. In life, we can see only what's right in front of us, just like a fog. So we keep going, keep trusting God, keep asking him to guide us one step at a time. And that's a, a picture of me that's uh, been doctored up just a little bit. And you. That's you and me. Okay. Hang in there. Stay tuned. All right. Speaking of the Red Letter Challenge, the fourth element in the Red Letter curriculum that we're going through as a church is giving. Giving. It's a rather stressful topic in the church normally, but this morning, I just want to tell you, you can relax, and I'm going to tell you why. In the Air Force pilot training program, there is this one constant, no matter where you're going through training, that exists every morning, and it's called stand-up. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, pressure-induced space that tests uh, candidates' knowledge of the mechanics and the emergency procedures and, and, and how to fly and, and everything under the pressure of peers and, and superiors. And uh, there's a guy up front, the safety officer normally, who sets up a context and then says, Lieutenant so-and-so, your aircraft. And you stand up, and now you have to walk through verbally what you would do. It's, it's crazy. <clears throat> um, if it goes poorly, the aircraft, so to speak, will be handed to someone else. And you just have to stand there at attention while that person normally does the thing that everyone in the room saw and you just happen to miss it because of the pressure. Like, I would flip the oxygen on and that was, you know, that's it. You just have to stand there and take it. And it's challenging because if you fail at that, it's as though you failed a flight and you don't fly that day. It's, it's, it was crazy pressure. You, the, the, the drive to the, to, the, to, the, to the squadron every morning was mixed a bag of excitement and this dread. Usually you're sick to your stomach, except for one person. There was always one person in the room of 20 people who was not worried at all. Do you know who it was? The person who went yesterday. You're not going to get called two days in a row. So I've gone a long way to say this. You've already been tested in giving. We spent the last eight months doing this stuff. You can relax. You've already done it. You went yesterday. You've been through the work and you've done it. And there's no ask coming at the end of this sermon. None. You don't need to get any antacid right now. You don't need to see if there's a pathway to the door. You can just hang in here, and honestly, this is better. The fact that we have done it, and you have done it, and you have given to this cause makes this message and this conversation with God what it should be, something that we're not pressing away because of fears, but we're engaging because of what it can do for me and for you. My hope is that you would be able to process today in a, in a unique space of having already done the work 
and instead feel valued and loved and purposeful in God's eyes. That's my hope. So here we are in God's economy and in the spirit of Jesus' teachings. It kind of goes like this. When a person, you, me, or anyone else, isn't giving, isn't serving, isn't forgiving, the solution isn't, again, this is, this is God's way, the solution isn't to compel them or demand that they do it. Although that seems natural. It's not the way to go, but it seems natural. Uh, we don't have enough money. Send an email out and remind people to give. We don't have enough volunteers. Call everybody and ask them to serve. Those two guys are still angry. Get them together. Show them some verses about forgiveness and tell them to get on with it. She's still degrading her parents. Let her know she can't keep leading around here until she starts honoring them and treating them better. Right? Those all tend to make pretty good sense. That's the way we would naturally go. That's not God's economy. That's not what Jesus taught us. Even if we do it nicely, that's not the way. There's something else going on when a human being isn't giving and forgiving and serving. Something deeper needs to be addressed, and that's what Jesus was all about, and that's what God is all about in these kinds of cases. Listen to what Jesus says in um, the book of Mark, Matthew. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but they're inwardly ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. A good tree, he goes on, cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Right? So Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, when a person's, when you look at a person's life, you might be compelled to get them to clean it up, get in line, get in gear. But you should be far more concerned about what our seeing is revealing about the condition of the person. A good tree can't put out bad fruit. A bad tree can't put out good fruit. Did I just say the same thing twice? You know, flip it. But you can look at the fruit. The, the, what you're seeing if it is lackluster, we don't just say, just start hanging good fruit on the bad tree. We think about what we're seeing and what that means about the condition of the person. This is God's perspective. He is enormously generous, beyond measure. He's given so much to me, to you, life, Resources, compassion, family, friends, his own son. And not only has he given us so much, he's also made humanity, you know this from Genesis, in his likeness. So here's a generous God who has been generous and has created us to be like him. 
So when we aren't generous, when we aren't unceasingly forgiving, tirelessly serving, shockingly giving, God would be the first one to say, not get your tail moving. He'd be the first one to say, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? This isn't how I made you. This isn't what it is to be human. What, what's, what's going wrong? Rather than just figuring out ways to forgive and serve and give, we should be concerned about why we're not ecstatically doing it. When we look in the mirror, we, sh- we, shouldn't, we shouldn't resolve to uh, uh, give and serve and forgive to some acceptable standard. We should wonder why we're truncating our natural inborn given an affinity to be good. <laughs> you know? Why are we... What's wrong? Paul teaches this. Uh, it, it teaches us via the teaching he gave to the Corinthian church. He says to them, give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God's not saying that he loves a giver who is smiley and expressive. When he says cheerful, that that particular word actually means ready to act because you've already been persuaded, won over, inclined. Give because it's not because someone's making, beating you with a stick. Give. Paul saying cheerful is a condition. He's saying when an external expression, try to track with me on this, when an external expression comes from an internal condition, of a spring-loaded conviction, God says, yes, that. When an external expression comes from an internal condition of a spring-loaded conviction, God loves that. Do you know any non-cheerful givers? Angry givers? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they might be smiling. They might seem excited. I do know some. I'm that person sometimes. Grudgingly giving my time. But saying... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> love to. Oh, I should do this. Who I don't know, I don't know one single example of an angry, generous person. 
I only know uncheerful givers. People that are flowing with generosity in all the different areas of life, they are, they, there, is, there is something within them that is cheerful. People who give beyond what makes sense are already secure, certain, persuaded, inclined, unrestrained, full of good cheer. They are something. Are you with me? They are something. I think this is why the red letter study is laid out the way it is. What's the first chapter? Being. Second chapter, forgiving. Third, serving. Fourth, giving. Being is first. The others really are evidence of the first. And in God's economy, he wants us to be something. So let's talk about how you become that. Isn't this better than talking about how much I need you to give? It is exciting to think about. There is a person, there is a somebody, a someone that God has intended you to be that is full of good cheer and overflowing with goodness for the good of others. Isn't that great to think about that? And even if you are already on that track, which many of you are, to know that it goes even deeper with God can be very invigorating. It's not terribly easy. I won't lie to you. It's, it's a lot easier to grudgingly contribute and try to look pleasant while you do it. Even Jesus' own disciples who were with him daily struggled to be what Jesus was looking for. They, they struggled to even understand what he wanted them to be. And let me show you. This is in Mark chapter 6, the book we've been studying and are going to continue to study together. This is, this is Mark 6 in the part where Jesus and his disciples decide unexpectedly to feed a massive crowd. I want to put you in the context. It's been a rough few days. Lots of crowds, lots of boat travel, uh, uh, confrontations with demoniacs and all sorts of things. And then they come back and there's more crowds and more crowds. It's been a long few days. They're very tired. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, the last few days, they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But <laughs> many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Ouch. Jesus says, let's get away for some supper. They arrive and there's a crowd already there in their solitary place.
When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. <laughs> so what happens? You get the picture? Finally, we're going to rest. We're going to get some supper. We get there. There's a huge crowd. Jesus comes in, and he just goes right back to it. Jesus, as usual, denies himself food and engages feeding the sheep. He is, he is who he is supposed to be, and he's overflowing. He's not even taking in the food that he needs. He's still putting out. By this time, it was pretty late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is so great. This is a remote place, Jesus. It's already very late. What do you say we send the people away to go get something to eat? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if we, for them, for them, if we just, you know, it's late and they, didn't, they haven't eaten either. We should send them away so they can get some food. I, I hate to, to, to judge the disciples, but I am. They're, we're, we're like the disciples. They could taste it. Jesus said, we're going to rest and eat. And they get there, and it's like, you're ready. Your body's letting down to sit down, and, you're, and you're, you know, your system is getting ready to eat, and then nothing. If we could just get rid of these people, maybe we would have what you wanted us to have. Jesus' answer, you give them something to eat. They're like, we can't. We don't have enough money. He says, go find what we have. The first component, if you will, in the building of a generous heart, the first characteristic of the healthy fruit-bearing tree what's necessary to become is a role. R-O-L-E. We want a roll, bread roll, but it's a roll. Jesus says here, in the midst of a hungry crowd, listen, listen, to, listen to, this is, I, I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth. I'm trying to say this is, this is in, in what he, when he says you feed them, this is, let me build that out. I'm central I am central to God's great mission to reach people, to forgive people, to bring light and peace, and to populate heaven. I'm central to that. That's why I'm here. And that mission is resourced out of the abundance of God. Some of that has been entrusted to you. And you're given a part, a role. You're a steward of that abundance. You have part ownership in the gathering and channeling of resources for my purposes. Don't send them away. Join me. 
I'm doing something that God has sent me to do. It is, the, it is the greatest work on the earth. Don't send these people away. They're why we're here. Join me. Don't stop when the road seems to end. Don't panic if the resources seem insufficient. Stand still. Trust God. Work with me to be part of the exciting solution. You get them something to eat. Embrace and accept the role of a steward. This is first critical part of becoming a generous soul is accepting and embracing, embracing the idea and the fact that you are part of God's historic and ongoing drama. Do you believe that? As a Christian, if you're a Christian, you are part of Jesus' ongoing ministry to this world. There's a second thing, equally important, to becoming someone who pours out good. It's hard to see. Even the disciples missed it, and they were right there. Check this out. Do you know what happened later that night after the feeding of the 5,000? Something else amazing happened. Do you know what it is? I didn't realize these stories were crammed into the same chapter. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake with the disciples in it. Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. The wind was against them. And then shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. This is where Jesus walks on water. He's about to pass them by, which I don't understand. And they saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw him and they were terrified. And he spoke to them immediately. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with him and the wind died down. Of course it did. He didn't even ask this time. It just died down. Because things calm down when Jesus is around. They were completely amazed. And catch this. We should put these stories together because of this next line. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. <laughs> Did you know that? Do you, I didn't even know that. I, I was reading this going, the loaves. Does that make any sense to you? They were completely amazed for they hadn't understood about the bread. The second thing that's important to being who God wants us to be is to understand the loaves. <laughs> Jesus is walking on water, calming another storm. The disciples are undone by it. But the reason the disciples couldn't see what they needed to see was that they didn't see what the bread and the 5,000 people thing meant. Not long after that, Jesus feeds another crowd. This one is 4,000. 
<laughs> this is great too. After which they packed up all the bread and then left by boat. The, the, a bunch of people that were resisting the gospel started ask Jesus if he would give them a sign from heaven. He just fed 9,000 people with a few loaves of bread. And they're like, is there going to be a sign? And the scriptures say Jesus sighed. <laughs> he sighed and left by boat and said, no, no. He just goes, he just does this. He says, hey, is there going to be a sign? He's like, no. And he leaves. What he means is you're never going to see it. You're never going to get a sign. They're all over the place. The signs are huge. Are you going to get a sign? Apparently not. No. And he leaves by boat. <laughs> this is so great. You can't, you can't make this up. If, you're, if the Bible is just a fictional story, this is not in here. The, these kinds of absurdities are exactly why the Bible is accounted to be true, at least in part. Because there's a lot of stuff you just wouldn't put in there. The disciples, so they go, they, they get 4,000 people, there's all this extra bread, they pack it up, they put it in the boat, they go here, they have this conversation, they get another boat, and they leave. The disciples forgot to bring the bread. They still haven't eaten. And they forgot all the extra bread, except for one loaf. <laughs> and Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Hmm. What? <laughs> they have one loaf of bread. And they're like, we still, we, we, we left all that bread. We had so much bread. We have this one loaf. And Jesus says, watch out for the Pharisees and the yeast. And the disciples are discussing this and this is what they decide. It's because we have no bread. <laughs> they think, Jesus said, the Pharisees are the reason you have no bread. They don't get it. They just don't get it. Yeah, it's the Pharisees. That's why we have one loaf of bread. And Jesus says, why are you still talking about having no bread? <laughs> why are you talking about this loaf of bread? You don't see. You still don't understand. Are your hearts hard? Do you have eyes that fail to see? Do you have ears that fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? They said, 12. Right. And I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000. And how many basketfuls did you pick up? Seven. Yes. Do you get it? No. We don't get it. They didn't get it. They eventually got it. And we get it, but we struggle to believe it. I'll tell you in a minute. Mark doesn't explain it here. Mark says, puts this, these words, Jesus says, why are you talking about bread? Don't you understand? And he doesn't mention bread again until near the end of his book. He doesn't explain it. Don't you understand? This is the perfect time. Mark should just explain it. But it doesn't say anything else more about bread until Mark chapter 14. One chapter from the end. And they're up in their upper room. And they're eating. And Jesus took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take it. This is my body. Bread and you. It's a metaphor. Right. Mark's saying, look, we didn't get it at first. But when Jesus broke the few pieces of bread we found that fed 9,000 people with 19 baskets left over, we didn't realize it, but he was showing us how abundantly God provides. It wasn't just feeding 5,000. He was showing us, not only does he feed 5,000, there's tons left over. This is not a problem. And by being the conduit of the miracle, Jesus was also showing us Mark would be saying, who he is. This is my body. I am the blessing of God. Not coincidentally, at the end of that chapter, where in the first part you have the supper, the last supper, the next deal is the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin asked Jesus, are you the blessed one? Jesus has shown the disciples and thousands and thousands of people that he is the son of God. That he is the blessing. And the Sanhedrin, without even really knowing what they're saying, said, are you the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. This is how Mark leaves it. This is how John covers that same moment. Jesus is being asked, what must we do to do the works of God? How do we become like you? How do we become giving and generous? How do we do the external work? Jesus answered, just do it. No, he didn't. He said, the work of God, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who has sent he has sent. How do we externally be like you? And he says, no, the work is to believe in me. The outward begins with the inward. So they ask, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. That is as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, 
give us this bread. And he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If the first key to being, if the first key to deep good cheer, to the fuel of generous service, forgiveness, giving, compassion, is to accept your part as a distributor of bread, a steward of God's abundance, the second is to believe that walking with Jesus taking him in and believing that God will supply all that you will ever need if the first is to be to have a part the second is to know your provider belief faith, trust that God is in control, that his provision and resources are unlimited, that we need not fear loss of any kind because we don't really need it. And there's more that can be imagined than can be imagined. Listen to the second part of Paul's admonition about cheerful giving. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. John says, or or Jesus says in John, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Luke captures it this way. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Listen, church, you're doing this stuff. You're doing this stuff. I just want you to know the effect that it's having. By playing your part, walking with Jesus and trusting God, the generous giver of all things, you are being a spontaneous conduit of good. You're becoming the person that he's always intended you to be. And the more you embrace the role and believe in God the provider and Jesus the bread of life, you end up deeper, more certain, more peaceful. You end up more deeply belonging, more loved, more secure. You end up healed and released and free. How does that sound? How does that sound? You don't get there by just doing this stuff. You do it by understanding you're part of the mission of God and the supplier of the resources is unlimited. And in Jesus, you already have everything. Staying in that space, you become a good tree that produces an abundance of fruit. And here's the best part. That's not the end point. That's not the greatest joy. The greatest joy 
Although it is deeply joyful to become a healthy tree that is like God in producing fruit, but the deepest joy comes when you recognize the impact on the world that you're becoming part of God's betterment of humanity. This is how Paul follows up his admonition to be cheerful. He says, this service that you perform, what service? The service not of giving and forgiving and serving. The service of flowing out from who you are. You're not only supplying the needs of Lord's people, the Lord's people, but it is overflowing into many expressions of thanks to God. By becoming who you are intended to become, by embracing the role and believing God, is an overflow that is otherworldly and it causes other people to thank God. This is who you are. You are the people of God. As you continue to receive and flow, Eat the bread of heaven and believe that all we have is God's and that we have a privileged role in stewarding it together for his purposes. As you do these things and you trust that God's got us, do we need to trust that God has us right now? Yes. Your cheerful generosity as individuals and as a church powerfully turns others to God. And they begin to humbly honor him and become healthy trees. You see where this goes? Let's pray and take a moment with you. And then Justin will dismiss. God, you, we don't, that's hard to understand and it's hard to believe that you are the provider of everything we need. And we repent of this idea that you are calling us to some mechanic of various good expressions and embrace the idea that you want us to become like you, overflowing like you. Would you make it so, God? By your spirit, would you grow our faith? Help us to embrace who you've made us to be so that we can be a part of your mission so the world can find their way back to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Nice to be with you. So good to be with you.